It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome to Money for Lunch. Good to have you guys here. As always, thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, And uh, we're just going to jump in with the quote of the day, the quote of the day. If your outlook on life, it's your outlook, I'm sorry, it's your outlook on life that counts. If you take yourself lightly and don't take yourself too seriously, pretty soon you can find humor in our everyday lives. And sometimes it can be a lifesaver. And that comes from us, from Betty White, actress extraordinary Betty White. If your outlook on life, it's your, again, excuse me, it's your outlook on life that counts. If you take yourself lightly and don't take yourself too seriously, pretty soon you can find humor in our everyday lives. And sometimes it can be a lifesaver. Man, that is so true. Some of the biggest names I've ever met in my life, the people who, I, who I've been in awe with, I became more in awe with them when I realized that they didn't take themselves too seriously. They didn't mind poking fun at themselves. They were very humble. They were very cool. And I just thought, man, that's even better. All right, let's get this party started. Uh, we have Drew Tarvin on the show. Um, Andrew Tarvin is an improv and stand-up comedian who has toured throughout the U.S. He's the author of a new book, Humor That Works, The Missing Skill of Success and Happiness at Work, and founder of Humor That Works, a consultancy firm for human effectiveness. For more information, visit DrewTarvin.com. That's Drew, T-A-R-B-I-N.com. And for you guys who want to have some fun, you can check out his TEDx talk on the YouTube is a fantastic, uh, fantastic uh, TED Talk. Drew Tarvin, welcome to Money for Lunch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, what a great quote to, to start with from none other than Betty White, who knows a thing or two about uh, both comedy and longevity in this, in this world. So that's a pretty cool quote to start with. Thank you. Yeah, she is definitely one of my heroes. I think that's... Uh, uh, for somebody, for someone to, uh, as you mentioned, you know, been around for so long, still has a good sense of humor, continues to work. I think that is impressive. Uh, she is, she's got a, seems to have a lot of energy. So, all right, so let's dive into this. Uh, you know, this whole idea of humor in the workplace um, seems almost out of place, right? Because in the corporate world, we're all about, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, numbers and professional, and we have to have our, what do you call it, our PowerPoint slides in such a way. And where did this idea come from that humor in the workplace is this missing skill? Right. Well, I think, you you know, you kind of hit the the nail on the head in the sense that uh, people feel like work has to feel like work. In fact, that's like a cliche that people said is that that's why it's called work. Otherwise, it'd be called play. Uh, Right. And so we have this idea that it has to be serious, that it has to be about, you know, solely about productivity. And and I get that because my background is in engineering. Um, You know, I've always been an engineer. I went to uh, The Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering. And I've always been obsessed with efficiency. Like, how can I do things as efficiently as possible? In fact, I 
uh, I've started listening to podcasts and shows at like one and a half and two times the speed. Uh, one, because then more people sound like me, uh, a little <laughs> bit of higher voice. Um, but two, because it's right, because it's more efficient. Um, but uh, I started working at Procter and Gamble after I uh, graduated from university, and I started to realize that you know you can be efficient with things like computers and uh, you know project plans and that kind of thing, but you can't really be efficient with humans. Uh, because humans have emotions and feelings and they have to eat and sleep and they get sick and tired. And, and so instead of being efficient, you have to be effective. And as a stereotypical engineer, I didn't necessarily have the skill set I needed to be effective with people, but I had started doing improv and stand up at university and realized that some of the same skills you need to be effective as an improviser, some of the exact same skills you need to be effective in the workplace. So I started to explore that intersection of, of humor in the workplace and improv in business. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, there, there is a, there, there is, I think a huge place for humor. Looking back, some of my favorite leaders also have a good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's that- just, it's just funny that, it's not a skill that most people think of when they think of work or leadership or a CEO type. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and I was going to say, I mean, even, even if you look back at historical leaders like Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was known for his humor. And, in fact, there's a, there's a great, great quote that I am going to butcher a little bit from Lincoln that says, um, gentlemen, why don't you laugh with the fearful strain that is upon me night and day? If I did not laugh, I should die, and you need this medicine just as much as I do. And that context is like, you know, this is in the middle of the Civil War, and so you recognize that, yeah, things can be serious, things can be challenging, but that's why we need humor. And so we, when we look at the amount of stress that's in the workplace, the challenges that we're experiencing, the constant change, the, you know, the, the requirement to do more with less and, and all that, that we continually see that push for greater and greater productivity – we need humor for the human side of things to be able to manage the human experience as part of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember uh, just for, just for fun, I took this uh, police class. It's a, I think, I think it was like a police volunteer type class. Anyway, you just, you go to the police station and they kind of give you, uh, it was a, uh, two-day training of what it, you know, some of the stuff that the police do. And mm-hmm. they had different people from different departments come in, and they had one guy from the bomb squad, and he talked about the need for humor in what they did, uh, that it was crucial. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people, without humor, people would, would burn out that much quicker, right? And, and because sometimes humor back to like Lincoln said, is that medicine uh, that, that helps us cope, that helps us deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the things, you know, as an engineer, I'm obsessed with productivity. I've, you know, read as much as I could, you know, I follow getting things done. I know about, you know, the very, you know, Pareto's principle and Parkinson's law and, you know, all this research around productivity. And one of the things that I've found is that it's very difficult to be productive if you are dead. Right. Yes. Or if you are like if you're sick and tired or you're burned out, you're stressed out, you're worn out. 
uh, very difficult to be productive or be at the top of your game. And so we can use humor strategically. Like, you know, the, we do some work with emergency first responders for that exact reason, right? We, we know that stress by itself is not a bad thing. Stress is how we grow. It's how we improve our capacity and our ability to do things. But it's that chronic stress. It's when we don't take the time to relieve that stress that we see, you know, an increase in blood pressure, a decrease in the immune system, you know, all these negative effects. And humor can be can help you counteract those effects. Like, so if you have a stressful experience, to then encourage or make sure that you have time to laugh either on your own or with your team a little bit afterwards, it helps to increase blood flow back into the, the body. It releases uh, tension, relaxes muscles. So it's really, you know, part of the reason why I'm passionate about what I do with engineering is that, uh, you know, not only is humor fun, which is a nice additional benefit, but it helps us get better results, gets back to that effectiveness in the workplace. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and and it, also, it also brings teams together, right? Just like a, just like a united struggle, a, a united laugh helps bring a team together. Yeah, that's why, you know, when uh, uh, Victor Borg said that uh, the shortest distance between two people is a smile. When mm. we laugh together, we are showing that we're on the same side. It's a sense of, you know, camaraderie that we're enjoying ourselves. And, you know, and, and when we do some of our programs, I, I will ask, especially leaders, a, a dumb question. And this is a dumb question, which you can still actually answer. Uh, but would you rather do something that is fun or something that is not fun? Yeah, uh, obviously fun. We all want to do something that's fun. Right, Certainly yeah. I do. Yeah, people want, to, people want to do something that is fun. So if you made your team meetings a little bit more fun or if you made your onboarding a little bit more fun or you made your sales pitch a little bit more fun or even your own work a little bit more fun – stands the reason that you'd be a, will, a little bit more willing to want to do it, a little bit more willing to um, have that experience. And so that's part of what we're talking about in the workplace. Because sometimes people hear humor in the workplace and they're like, wait, does that mean I have to become a stand-up comedian and start telling jokes? And when we're talking about humor in the workplace, it's not about making it funny so much as making it more fun. And that's something yeah. that we can do with our teams, with a group of people. Yeah, I think I, – I, I'm so glad that you said that because – the what do you call it? The uh, what you don't want um, is you don't want the rude, crude type of humor. You don't want to get, and I think this is the, the thing that people fear, right? Is uh, mm -hmm. is that if you quote allow humor in the workplace, before you know it, there's going to be you know somebody getting a pie in the face and a you know a bucket of water over the head kind of the stuff and and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking, uh, as you said, about making the experience more fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, you know, I don't know anyone who has ever been fired because of a bad joke. Uh, but I do know people have been fired because of an inappropriate joke. Yes. Right. And so, like, a, a bad joke is one that, uh, you know, it's just not a good joke. It's, it's like, uh, you know, I love puns and wordplay. So, um, just recently I, I tweeted out that, uh, like I'm a pretty pale person. Um, I use SPF building, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I stay indoors, but I tweeted out that I'm a pale person. The only time I get tan is when I'm doing trigonometry, right? And a little joke related to tangent and calculations and all that. And that's, that's a bad joke, right? Yeah. Um, 
but it's not an inappropriate joke. An inappropriate joke typically is inappropriate for one of three reasons. One, it has an inappropriate topic. So, like, using humor in the workplace is not an excuse to talk about topics that you wouldn't otherwise talk about, right? You can't just be like, oh, you know, I'm not racist. That's just a joke. Like, it's, it's not an appropriate thing to, to talk about. Uh, yeah. Uh, the second part is that it, ha- it might be an inappropriate target. So some comedy has a target, and if the target is someone that you don't have a great relationship with or you're doing it out of malice, uh, then that can be inappropriate because then that humor becomes divisive as opposed to inclusive. And then it can also come at an inappropriate time. Like we, you know, I fully recognize that humor is not always appropriate. Like if you're, if you're firing someone, um, you know, it's not your time to bust out your, your frozen parody of like, I've got to let you go, let you go. Right. Like not appropriate that situation. So, you know, making sure that we avoid the inappropriate humor. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guess what? Tomorrow you're going to have eight hours where you can do whatever you want. Uh, All right. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's, uh, that's the thing that people fear the most is the inappropriateness. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, in the book, you talk about the three components of successfully using humor in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, are, are, and I know we just talked about the uh, appropriateness and stuff like that. Is, is, are those the three that you were talking about, the inappropriate, the target, and the malice? No, so those are those are three ways humor can be inappropriate. But you know, the three components that we talk about in terms of successfully using humor is a way to make sure that your humor is appropriate. And so those three are basically your MAP, right? Which is an acronym. It stands for your medium, your audience, and your purpose. So you, your mm. medium is how are you going to execute that humor? Is it in an email? Is it in a phone call? Is it in a one-on-one conversation? Because, you know, a, a sarcasm might work a little bit better in person, but, you know, sometimes you get an email or even a text message from someone and you read it and you're like, oh my God, why is this person so upset with me? And you didn't right. realize that they were saying something sarcastically or as a joke. So we know our medium impacts our message. And so you want to make sure you know what your medium is and that the humor is appropriate for that. Uh, the second component is your audience, and that is who is going to receive your humor. Uh, you know, is it uh, someone that you know very well? Is it someone that you've just met? Because, you know, certainly a joke that you make with a friend that you've known for 10 years is going to be probably pretty different than someone that you've met for the first time. Uh, plus, you want to know what that person knows, what they need, what they expect, because part of using humor is delivering on what people need, but doing it in a way that they don't quite expect. That's how you create some of the incongruity. That's how you create some of the, the interest. And I think the other component of audience is to also recognize that you're not going to have, you know, uh, not everyone is going to love your humor. You mentioned the, the TEDx talk at the, the top of the, the show, and it's, I'm fortunate it has like, you know, over 4 million views at this point. It has, I think, like 88,000 likes on it, but there's still like 2,000 dislikes. So even though 4 million people have watched it, there's still 2,000 people that have been like, no, did not like this, the, this person's humor. Um, and so recognizing that you're not always going to please everyone, uh, that not everyone's going to think every single joke that you say is going to be funny. So understanding that audience piece. And then the third component is the purpose. And that is why are you going to use humor? Cause you know, humor for the sake of humor is okay, I guess, but humor is such an incredibly valuable tool that we can use it to get specific results in the workplace. 
You know, I like that. Uh, why are we going to use humor? Because again, you can overuse humor to the point that people are like, all right, enough with the jokes. Let's get on with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we say that, you know, humor isn't what you do in the workplace. It's how you do it. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't replace the work, you know, to borrow kind of an example from, from office space. You know, if your manager comes to you and is like, Hey, do you have those TPS reports? You can't like, make a quick joke about something. And then when they're like, no, seriously, do you have those reports? You can't be like, all right, we'll see you later. Like it doesn't, doesn't replace the work. And, and this is, you know, back to kind of bad jokes. One of the, the, the dumbest jokes in my, my Ted talk is along those lines. And what I say is that, uh, you know, humor is like the salt of a meal. You know, you wouldn't want to eat an entire meal of salt because that would make you a horse. And do you want to be a horse? I say, nay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nay, nay. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, uh, so give us a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, you went from, uh, I guess, this engineer. Um, you know, the uh, kind of a, a self-proclaimed nerd, voted teacher's pet, uh, and. <laughs> You seem, you know, you start off in a in a career path that is not known for its humor. Engineering is very serious, uh, a lot of testing and retesting and stuff like that. So, how did you go from just an engineer to a humor engineer? Uh, yeah, that's not exactly a, a common career trajectory. Um, but uh, the way that it happens for me is. Um, uh, you know, like I said, degree in computer science and engineering, and then I, I started working at Procter & Gamble uh, as an IT project manager, also not known for their, you know, uh, sense of humor necessarily. But uh, I remember pretty early on at P&G being in an incredibly boring meeting, you know, like one of those ones where you're just watching the paint dry. You're like, I'd rather be doing email than this because email is more exciting at this point. Um and the problem was that I was the one leading the meeting. And it's like, all right, if I'm bored while talking, they have to be bored while listening. Uh, and so <laughs> I started to say, right, like, like, all right, if let me bring in some of this improv and stand-up that I started in college. And so my best friend in college wanted to start an improv comedy group but needed people and forced me to join. Like, I, I don't think I was ever, like I said, not the, I was not the class clown. I was not the life of the party type person. Um, I don't know that I ever would have watched a comedy show and been like, you know what, I can do that. I'm going to get up on stage. But instead, it was more my friend kind of pushing me into it. And uh, I fell in love with it. And like I said, I, I realized that it was helping me as an introvert, me as someone that didn't have these great social skills. It was a, it was a way for me to learn those skills and make people laugh and, um, you know, build relationships with people. And so I started bringing that into my work at P&G. I started to, uh, you know, add jokes, in, dumb jokes at the ends of my emails. And I started to, to teach improv exercises to uh, some of my work members, uh, like team members. And um, eventually, about a year into P&G, I proclaimed myself the corporate humorist of P&G. I was like, all right, if I'm doing this, this has been kind of fun. So I made business cards. I started an internal blog starting talking about humor in the workplace. And I assumed that eventually someone would stop me, uh, but no one ever did, right? No one from HR or legal ever came up. Instead, people just started referring to me as the corporate humorist. 
and it became part of my my brand and people started to seek it out and that's where I started to really notice the benefits of it like I remember uh, one day coming into work and having a bunch of email replies to one of my emails and uh, for each of my status emails like I said I'd add jokes at the end of it and so it's like oh what did I what did I say what did I forget what did I do and the email responses that I all had were, where were the jokes? Like I had forgotten to write a joke at the end of the status report. And so multiple people were like, where, where were the jokes? I open the email every week because I know there's going to be a joke there. Did you stop the jokes? Please keep on going with the jokes. And so what that told me as a project manager was that people enjoyed reading the jokes at the ends of the emails, that uh, they were looking forward to it, that it got them to open the email and scroll to the bottom. Now, like, I don't know if they read the rest of it, but at least as a project manager, to know that people re- opened your email and scrolled to the bottom, like, is a, is a pretty good sign that something is working. Yeah, no, that's, that's a big deal. Look, anytime, especially in a day full of emails, when people are opening your emails, when they're you know, fans of your email. That's, that's a, that's a big thing. That's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so, one of the things that I've noticed as a, like, as a benefit to consistently using humor, whether it is using it in an email or, you know, starting a meeting every, like I would start each of my meetings with a, an interesting question that people would answer, but creating kind of a consistent drumbeat of humor makes people want to interact with you more because they're anticipating their humor. They're like, Oh, okay. When I go to, uh, when I go to so-and-so's meeting, it's boring and dry, but when I go to this person's meeting, it's actually fun. Oh, okay, I'm more likely to go to that one. I'm going to make sure that I'm on time. I'm going to like be looking forward to it, which is a much better mindset for an effective meeting than being like, oh, I dread this, and I, I, I uh, can't wait until it's over. Right. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I know I think that's – I think that in itself is a, is a huge thing. Uh inserting a little bit of humor into an otherwise dull meeting. Uh, I think it's something, it's definitely a skill that everybody should consider. Interestingly enough, one of the things that they teach you when you're giving a talk or a presentation is you start it with a, you know, start it with a joke, lighten it up, get people's attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's, that's one thing that we do talk about just as, as that kind of point is that, um, you know, again, humor isn't necessarily what you do, it's how you do it, because I have been in plenty of meetings where someone has started with a joke, and it's kind of a, an okay joke, one maybe that they found on the internet, which is like a fine starting point, but it has no relation to the le- rest of the meeting, and the entire, you know, the rest of the 59 minutes and 30 seconds is terribly boring and dry, and like, that's not necessarily effective humor, it does get people to pay attention, so more effective, kind of going back to the map piece is, Okay, if you're going to start with a joke, make it some type of joke where you can make a connection to the theme of the meeting. Even if it's kind of a loose translation, you get people to laugh and be like, okay, so, you know, as, as this person in this joke story had this issue, you know, here's, a, here's a, a connecting piece. So, for example, in the TEDx talk, I start with the story about my grandmother and her texting and her confusion over the acronym WTF. Uh, and her thinking that it means, wow, that's fun. And, uh, you know, I, I make the connection then that, oh, okay, I think actually the world would be a little bit of a better place if more people thought WTF like my grandmother, if they thought, wow, that's fun. You know, this morning we're going to talk about how we can use humor, how we can make things more fun and say, wow, that's fun more often to get better results, right? So that's 
at least a connecting point to it. And then the other thing that we recommend is that you use, you sprinkle some type of humor throughout the presentation. So maybe it's additional jokes later, maybe it's stories, maybe it's an interactive exercise, uh, or one of the easiest things that you can do is use more images in your presentation as opposed to wall, like, you know, slides full of, of text. Uh, and that way it's a consistent use of it and it's about achieving different goals. So, right, we talked about the, the purpose, you know, the, the purpose, some things that you could use humor for within communication is you could use a joke at the beginning to get people to pay attention more. You could use an interesting analogy midway through the presentation as a way to help people understand something a little bit better. You could use an interactive exercise that then helps people practice the skill and really kind of um, remember one of the, the concepts that's talked about. Like, so you can go back to that map piece and use it kind of consistently throughout. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think the real reason people don't use humor at work? Yeah, it's a great question because there are over 30 individual like benefits for individuals for using humor in the workplace backed by research case studies real world examples and uh right there's this tremendous value to using humor and so we wanted to understand that question of why don't people use humor more and so we ran a study through our site and we found that the number one reason people didn't use humor in the workplace was because they didn't think that their boss or coworkers would approve they were like, they didn't feel a culture of humor. They didn't see other people laughing and smiling consistently in the workplace. But the reality is that in one study, 98% uh, of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor. And in a different study, 81% of employees found that a uh, thought that a, a fun workplace would make them more productive. And so people want it, but I think just culturally, we we're still stuck in an old mindset that work does have to feel like work and that if you're laughing, then you're not uh, serious and you're not too busy. Uh, and that's slowly evolving, but people are just, they're just scared because other people aren't doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it goes back to, as you mentioned, it's that, it's that culture, right? Uh, mm -hmm. just, you know, and so no matter what, uh, it's very difficult to overcome the culture. When you're talking yeah, about P&G, if P&G, you know, P&G didn't, didn't necessarily come out and say, hey, uh, Drew, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. We're going to, you know, we're going to whatever. We're, we're just going to support you. They just didn't do anything to stop you. So, therefore, it was kind of like a tacit agreement that it was okay to do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to making it part of the culture. Yeah, and but I think that's also a key learning for me. Like that was one of the big kind of aha moments that I had at PNG was that no one told me to use humor, but no one ever stopped me either. And so that was a big, and that's part of the passion, part of the reason why I decided to leave PNG and build this business and you know write the books and all that was realizing that sometimes people just needed permission from someone, and if I can be that person that just says, hey, you know. This is going to make you more productive. Not only are you going to do your work better, you're also going to enjoy it more. If I can be that person to kind of start to encourage that and at least plant the seeds that people start to, to try it a little bit more, then I want to do that because you're exactly right. No one necessarily tells you how to do it. But, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that you are responsible for your own happiness. 
And so, you know, it's up to you. It's not up to your manager. It's not up to your coworkers to make sure that you have fun at work. And and hopefully they don't detract from it, um, but it's not up to them to make sure it happens. And that's kind of a choice that you make almost every single day of how you're going to do your work. Sure, sure. Let me ask you this. As a leader or as an in, uh, as a humor engineer, what have you learned from stand-up comedians? What can other leaders learn from stand-up comedians? Uh, yeah, I think there's a tremendous amount that you can learn from from stand-up. Uh, one, you know, very big thing is um, is brevity is getting to the point. Like stand-up comedians are very, very clear of articulating their ideas in a very clear way. And, you know, as leaders, sometimes we talk a lot. Sometimes we talk about all the things that we know, where in effective communication and comedians do this very, very well, is they frame things so that the audience can get it. And how do I clarify this so well that the audience gets the joke when I say it? And so as leaders, sometimes we're telling everything that we know as opposed to what our audience needs to know, uh, what they need to know. And, and so I think that's one thing is clarity of message, brevity of message, really kind of editing it down and making sure it's consumable by the, the people you're trying to lead. Uh, I think another thing is, uh, you know, a cardinal sin in, in stand-up comedy is, is stealing material. Like, you shouldn't do that. And I think sometimes as leaders, uh, people take credit for other people's work. So it's kind of like stealing, stealing their material, stealing their credit, which I don't understand. Like as a leader, you know, part of your role, part of your uh, responsibility is to build an effective team and to get, get results out of a team. And so if you're stealing people's, if you're like taking credit for what other people do, you're discounting your own service as a leader. You are saying like one that you would do, do it as a lone wolf, as opposed to, uh, someone who's actually building an effective team. In fact, at PNG, some of the senior leaders, their ratings and their you know bonuses and everything were tied to how an organization did after they left that team, right? And so they because they didn't want people that could were rock stars by themselves, and then when they left, the entire team was in shambles. They wanted someone who was developing the team so that you know they could sustain on their own. And I think that's something as leaders that we forget about that, you know, at least from a conceptual standpoint, from stand-up comedians, they can kind of take away. Yeah, I like that. I, I like the idea of, and I was very surprised that the first thing that you said was brevity, but I think brevity, especially in a, in a, in a day where you're, you're getting massive amounts of emails and text messages, brevity is sweet. Brevity is like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> it absolutely is. And it's, you know, the average person will like receive, you know, they're bombarded by up to 5,000 ad messages per day. They send and receive 112 emails per day. They spend 80% of their time in some form of active communication. And they're constantly have their phones on them. A, a friend of mine here in New York City who's a comedian says, it's amazing that we have human conversations anymore. Because at any given time, you're competing against the phone and like, I have Netflix on my phone. So it's like, you've got to be more interesting than when it, in a couple of weeks when it comes out or whenever it's out, like you have to be more interesting than St- stranger things season three. Right? right. So if you want to get me to pay attention, you have to tell me why I should care what's relevant to me. And what's interesting is that humor creates instant relevance in a way. When you make someone laugh, you get them paying attention. 
right? Because they, they want to have fun. You see that in audiences all the time. Like if, if people aren't really paying attention and then the speaker makes someone laugh and people kind of look up and they're like, wait, I want to laugh. I want to have a good time. And they start listening. That's why we say, you know, if you get people to laugh, you get them to listen. If you get them to listen, you can get them to learn or you can get them to take action. And that's something that leaders can definitely learn from comedians. I love it. I love it. We're going to end on that note. Uh, Drew, it's been a blast having you on the show. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> and, yeah, I hope so, but hopefully some, some good learning. Thank you for having me on the show. You bet. So if somebody wants to find out more about Drew, they can go to DrewTarbin.com. If you want to pick up the book, uh, the book is, uh, is called Humor That Works, The Missing Skill for Success and Happiness at Work. Drew, thank you so much. Looking forward to having you back again, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All righty. Good stuff there from Drew Tarvin, humor engineer. I love that. I love the fact that uh, he kind of grew his consulting business organically. And, man, I think that it's such a spot-on thing. I think that when you look at corporate America as a whole, humor needs to be injected in there. Uh, so I'm glad that somebody spotted that and uh, is running with it. Uh, anyway, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. As always, let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people understand the power of humor in the workplace. Let's get as many people having more fun at meetings, more fun at, in the workplace. Man, could you imagine if we all had a culture of appropriate fun, for lack of better terms, just a fun culture where people could go there. And Zappos is known, it was, is still known for having a fun culture. As always, my friends, thank you so much. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.